Your voice matters. 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 I am so excited to welcome you to the inaugural podcast of Your Voice Matters. This is a podcast of love and a program of Denver Urban Matters, affectionately known as Denim. I am Tammy Mulligan, Executive Director at Denim, and the host of this program. Let me tell you why we've started this project. At Denim, we offer basic human services and employment services to low-income individuals who are struggling to overcome the paralyzing effects of poverty. We also have an education program to help people understand the root causes of poverty and the impact it has on individuals, families, and the larger community. One of the pieces that seems to be missing as we work to carry out our mission is the wider community's ability to know the stories of those who come to us for critical services. The impressions we have seem to come from talking heads and politicians. When I hear marginalized people described in the media or in conversations, it never feels as accurate or as honest as the stories people tell about themselves. Additionally, it feels like there's a lack of forum where people can tell their own story. I've had the privilege in my time at Denim to tell many people's stories. I speak publicly all of the time, and I have a tendency to polish stories up and edit them and make them fit into nice, clean, easy-to-understand boxes because I want them to be easily understood, digestible, and relatable. Your Voice Matters was designed to meet people where they are. No need to dress up. No need to know how to do public speaking. I am simply inviting people who come to Denim for Services to sit down and visit with me and share their voice because all of us at Denim believe that everyone's voice matters. I do want to let you know that I have no prior experience at creating a recorded document or a podcast in any way, so there may be some hiccups along the way. I ask you to be patient with the quality as I am learning as we are creating this podcast, and each time I sit down with someone, I get a bit better at understanding the technical aspects. But enough of that. Let's talk about today's show. The first brave person willing to sit down with me is Lance. Lance tells about his suburban childhood in New Jersey, his marriage to someone with a serious mental illness, and finally, his path through addiction, prison, and coming out. He willingly and rather eloquently tells the ups and downs of his life, and what brought him to Denim. So here is the first episode of Your Voice Matters. I just want to give you a big thank you for being the first person willing to come in, sit down and talk to me for the podcast that we're starting here at Denver Urban Matters, yourvoicematterspodcast.org. And so you're the first person. Give me a high five for that one. All right. Thank thanks. you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah. So tell me, tell me what you were doing downstairs. I walked downstairs, you were on the computer. Tell me what, what you were working on. Well, I've just been, uh, I, uh, I'm in the halfway house, and I'm working, but it's, it's really a, a temporary sort of job that works with the halfway house regimen uh, in terms you, of, of flexibility. What kind of work are you doing right now? Uh, right now I'm doing uh, telephone fundraising uh, for a company that calls for progressive causes. So we, we raise money for uh, National Organization for Women, for ACLU, for Planned Parenthood. Uh, right now we're calling for the League of Conservation Voters. Yeah, 
and you're looking for another job, but, well, but, what would that be? Like, you're, you're, what, what do you want the next step to be? Well, ideally, I would like to go into nonprofit administration. I would like to go into into the nonprofit field. I had a career uh, in uh, in management in construction organizations primarily uh, as a financial controller or operations manager uh, for organizations with budgets up to 15 to 20 million dollars um, and I'd like to be able to transfer those skills into the nonprofit world I think that some of the some of the skills that I've gained and some of the life experience that I've gained over the over the past 12 years would translate into me being able to make a, a difference in some organization and if you could Cherry pick your the best organization that you like with the mission that you really wanted to work on. What would that be? Well, I want to be in some human service field and I'd like to be able to make a difference. I'd like to be able to leave a mark on the world. Um, I was, if I could leave the legacy of, of making a, a difference in somebody's life, uh, then that that would be my dream. That's fantastic. I can relate to that a little bit. Wanting, wanting to leave my mark here too. So, and and an organization like like what like what Denim does is is you know, it, I mean that's a tremendous thing and it must be tremendously rewarding for you. As frustrating it is and as it as tiring it as it probably is some days to be able to to know that somebody didn't go hungry because of what you do or somebody found a, a place to sleep tonight because of some contacts that you were able to, to help them make. Yeah, I'm pretty fortunate that I get to put my hand on that front door every day and come in and, and have this experience. So Yes, I, yeah. and, and that's a, when, I, when I was in private industry, my, I, never, I never dreaded going to work. I mean, there were, there were times when I was tired, um, but I had the coffee pot on a timer. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, you know, and I was up, up at Adam and, and I was the first one to work every day and, and, and I loved it. I mean, we were, I was always with an organization that I was proud of and, and that's, to me, that's the important thing. And that's, that's what I think a lot of people don't understand is that you can have a life where you really like doing what you do. Uh, and my dad had a, had his own business and, and growing up, that's what I saw and he loved he loved to do what he did. Nice. Where, where are you from originally? I uh, grew up in New Jersey, um, so I spent my entire life in, in a uh, New Jersey suburban area, suburban New York. Uh, uh, my dad commuted into New York City on the train every morning uh, for much of my youth, and then he moved his office out, out to closer to the house in New Jersey. Um, but it was a very traditional white bread upbringing yeah five, bed, five bedroom split level you know <laughs> and your mom uh, my mom uh, was a great mom didn't work outside the house after uh, we had uh, there were four kids um, so she didn't work outside the, the house after after my oldest sister was born um, and she was the mom that was the class mother and chaperoned every every class trip and made cookies and brownies and and just did everything and was there when we came home from from school and um, it was it was a leave it to beaver existence 
and I never knew until some of the experiences that I've that I've had in the in the past 12 or 13 years that everybody didn't grow up like that sure sure I mean I I was blessed uh, and I and I am grateful now for what I you know for what I had then uh, much more than I was grateful for than, than when I than when I was experiencing it so you uh, you grew up in New, suburban New Jersey East Coast now you're in Denver tell me a little bit of what happened in between those two places well I, I grew up in New Jersey um, and then uh, was a good student it was a it was a it was a good high school uh, my parents were never were never ones that pushed you know you've got to go to Ivy League school or you've got to go to my alma mater my, my dad graduated uh, Duke University which of course is a very good school but there was never all they wanted was for us kids to, to be happy with, with whatever choices we made uh, and we were left to make our own choices uh, I wanted to go as far away from home as possible uh, to school um, I looked at uh, I looked at Midwestern schools. I went to when I took the tour in the, in my junior year of high school. I looked at University of Wisconsin, uh, University of Michigan, Northwestern. I was accepted to to all those schools, but boy, it was cold <laughs> up there when I took that tour. Uh, it was one of the it was a record cold uh, year. And then I went. I looked at uh, at University of Arizona, um, and it was it was very warm in the winter time there. It was, that was a nice place to visit in uh, in December. <laughs> so, uh, so that's where I went. My my father had had done uh, a lot of work in Tucson, so he he was familiar with the city. Uh, my father was a Barry Goldwater Republican, uh, and he thought that I probably couldn't get in any trouble uh, going to school in Arizona. So uh, he was wrong about that. <laughs> um, so as it. Uh, as it turned out, it, it really would have been better for me to go to school someplace where it was cold and I was forced to go to class instead of instead of hanging out outside uh, playing frisbee. So uh, so I, I spent the next uh, I spent eight years in, in Arizona. Didn't graduate from from U of A. Um, met my uh, the woman who ended up uh, who I ended up marrying there. Uh, we were together for six years before we were married. And uh, we're married on a dude ranch underneath a waterfall. Um, and then a couple of years later, uh, we were just ready for a change. Um, I just didn't feel like I was making any progress there. I had a, I had a little landscape company, but uh, we're, we were just ready for a change. So through some contacts that I had through the, uh, the executive director of the Arizona Landscape Contractors Association, he put me in touch with some people up in the San Francisco Bay Area because we we decided that that was where we wanted to relocate to um, and long story short got got a job with a, with a company there that was uh, came in there uh, worked at that company for about three years and I met with a guy by the name of John Gacina he was uh, we really hit it off and we started up that company. Uh, I stayed there for 10 years. Uh, we grew the company from three people to about 120 wow. 10 years later. 
and, and put in the systems that allowed that company, even more importantly, to grow. Uh, he's got over 400 employees right now. I left that company after 10 years, came to Colorado. Ex-wife now took a transfer with Sun Microsystems, and so that's how I ended up in Colorado. Nice. So how's Colorado been to you? Uh, Colorado has, has been Colorado has been good. It was it's been sort of a, an interesting uh, adventure for me. Um, my uh, my ex-wife had suffered th from clinical depression through her whole through her whole life. See, 2000 maybe 1999 to, or 2000, about a year and a half after we moved to Colorado. Uh, Carol's got depression got very bad. She was hospitalized. Um, she went through a series of, uh, of ECT treatments, electroconvulsive therapy, what, what they used to call shock therapy treatments. Uh, it was successful. She ended up getting some very good, some very good drug therapy with a, with a good psychiatrist. That, so that she was really more with it than she ever had been in, in her life. Um, the, the depression finally had lifted so she was a different person than she had been any time during our, our relationship and all of a sudden the dynamic of the uh, of the relationship changed kind of like when somebody's in a relationship with somebody who uh, is suffering from substance abuse and they some, suddenly get sober and all of a sudden, everything changes. Now we're in couples therapy, and we are, uh, Carol's not happy with, with our relationship because she thinks that I'm controlling, but a lot of that was the fact that if I hadn't made all the decisions for 23 years of marriage, things wouldn't have gotten done. Carol was functional at work. Um, but it took everything out of her. I mean, she, brilliant. Uh, the depression and getting through the day really took took everything out of her so there wasn't much left when when she got home so I threw myself into work during that period so then something happens I I'm getting a massage and long story short end up in bed with a male massage therapist that uh, that that uh, is giving me a massage. I've been uh, questioning whether I was gay for my life, but I was faithful through the entire marriage. And I grew up in the 70s, and there just, there wasn't an option. I mean, to me, gay was Liberace. <laughs> I didn't fit that, uh, that stereotype, so I just thought I was, you know, I was attracted to guys, but, you know. And once I got in a, in a relationship, there wasn't an option because, because you don't cheat on your, on your partner. And so about six months later, uh, the, the marriage ends um, and go our, go our separate ways. And then I'm free to do what I want, and, I, and it, was, it was not a traumatic change for me. I mean, I just went from straight and married to gay and out in sort of uh, just in a blink of the eye. So I'm going out, and I have gay friends, I, you know, I, it, and I was very, you know, and I was happy. I was in a, uh, a group uh, for called Crossroads for, for gay married men at the time and met a couple of friends there um, and we'd go out to the bars and, and it was and it was fine. Then about a year later I tried meth. I smoked methamphetamine and that sort of took control of my life for the next 10 plus years. What, what made you try that? I was with somebody who I was attracted to and they said, dear, do you want to 
Do you want to smoke this? I had, you know, up until the time I was 25 when I left Arizona, I mean, I wasn't a, a prude. I, I did acid. I, you know, did mushrooms. I so smoked pot. I did. did what I did what you do in, in college. And right. my, my college years sort of extended a, a few, you know, a few years um, longer than they should have. But then I didn't do anything the whole time I was in California. For 15 years, I was sober, quote unquote. I mean, I drank like a normal person drinks wine with dinner. Sure. But this drug um, is a drug that makes you feel like you're in control when you're really not. And and I like feeling on top of things. I mean, the, the feeling of smoking pot or, or even drinking and being drunk or anything like that, that's not something I, I ever, you know, ever appealed to me. Feeling out of control was not something that, that ever appeals to me. Feeling ultra in control uh, was something that, that really got a hold of me. So I ended up using meth. I caught, uh, was arrested for possession. And the next 10 years were, uh, was in and out of, in and out of jails. Um, you know, when I was out of jail, I always worked. There was no, um, because of the fact that I started using this drug at age 42, it didn't have the effect on me that it has on many people who start using it. I mean, there's kids that are, that are starting to use meth when they're nine, 10 years old. Um, and certainly when they're in their early teens, and, and many of the people that I knew that used it, their parents used it. I mean, their parents used it with them. Um, and in my mind, these these kids didn't have an opportunity to form a, uh, a moral system. Um, they they really didn't think anything about, um, about what they were doing to other people. So there was, in, in that, in that group of people that are using meth right now, there's a lot of people that steal. There's a lot of people that do fraud. There's, um, there's no real thought to, I, I shouldn't do this because this is wrong. I used, um, and I, I mean, I sold some just to friends. Um, and in my mind, because this is what meth does to you, everything was really fine. I mean, every, I had everything under, under control, if only because I had everything under control by comparison to some of the people that were around me. And that's what, how I managed to, to fool myself. And I've been in and out of, of uh, Department of Corrections four times in 10 years. So where are you at now in the, in the system? Right now, I, uh, February of uh, 2014, I was sentenced to 11 years on Department of Corrections on, uh, on three different cases. So. So Jefferson County was, was pretty upset with me. Um, so, I, so I received an 11 year sentence. I did everything that I could possibly do in Department of Corrections to get out uh, as early as I could. I went through therapeutic community and uh, did some several other classes. So I got out to uh, to the halfway house in uh, November. So that's where I am now. I'm I'm in the halfway house, and, and I will be able to leave there in about June or July of this year. I just want to take a second, Lance, to thank you for sharing your story as you have, being honest, saying tough things, but really giving me some insight as to kind of how you got to this point, and also willing to share it with whoever's going to listen and we don't know who that is yet but um i really appreciate just your honesty in telling this story okay you got us from new jersey to denver and kind of where you are and now all of a sudden now i'm i'm out and gay and and the things that that you don't you don't tell people you don't tell male friends because 
you're afraid you're afraid that they'll sound gay. Well, you know, now you can say it. Now you can say whatever you want because it doesn't matter if they sound gay because they are. Because I'm gay. Because I talk to and I so I was. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. What being out's about, right? I, exactly. Very nice to be able to to reveal myself and not have to worry about. Sure. So Lance, let me ask you a question. If you and you you kind of you know you you've done this in some ways by just being out and talking about it and but if if there was something that you wanted people to know about you that they don't know. What would it be? Well, I would say that from the outside, if people look at me and and look at what's gone on for the past ten or twelve years with the with the meth use and the uh, and the criminal record, most people would look at that and assume that that's been my whole life, and that's really been a relatively small part of my life. Uh, and it's unfortunate that the criminal justice system, when when somebody comes in at age 42 with their first address, uh, arrest for meth, the system looks at that person as uh, somebody who's gotten away with it for 20 years uh, instead of somebody who really only just started doing this because it is fairly unusual for somebody to pick up this particular drug at age 42. Let's put it this way, this, this is the, the midlife crisis to end all midlife crises. <laughs> I mean, it would have been a lot cheaper to buy a Corvette than to, uh, yeah, than to turn gay, start using meth, and start going to prison at, you know, at age 42. Uh, but what, what it's given me is a perspective on other people's lives that I never would have had before. I could have gone through the rest of my life, uh, you know, never, never having any more contact with somebody who was homeless than maybe dropping a dollar in a cup, but probably not even doing that because I probably look at him and say, you know, you should get a job. So what lens do you see people with now? I, I see people with with a lens of, of, of empathy. That's that's where I really have gained the gratitude that I that I have now in terms of, of, uh, of what I was able to experience growing up because I ended up in in, uh, in the system because of choices that I really made. Uh, I mean, once once I was using the uh, the drugs, I still made bad choices, and there were there were reasons uh, that had to do with my brain chemistry that that kept me from really understanding that things were out of control. But there there are a lot of people in the system, the majority of the people in the system have gone through neglect or abuse or trauma at young ages and really they didn't have any choice as to those uh, events in their lives. And that really has molded them uh, into into what they you know into what they are now. Lance, how long have you been clean for? I've been clean for uh, four years now. Congratulations. Thank you. How's that feel? It feels good. I mean, and it it, it wasn't uh, you know I didn't experience some kind of an epiphany. I just started remembering what it was like to have the life that I had before, and I slowly was able to redraw a map back to it, and that's where it always led every time. My experiences with that are part of what made me who I am now, so I can't say that I regret it wholly, but I but I can't do it. I mean, that's, that's a part of my life that's over, and now I think I can use some of those experiences to help people realize that that's, that that's only going to lead to you know, to, to bad places. Lance, what is your hope for yourself? My hope for myself is that I remain as positive as, as I am. And I know I will. I mean, I, I just always have. Uh, I don't have any patience for listening to people kvetch. That's a, that's a New Jersey Yiddish word. Yeah. Uh, that means complain. 
I don't want to hear. I don't, I don't want to hear people complain about what they're doing, you know, or, or how bad things are. I do believe in the serenity prayer. I believe that that we just have to accept what what we can't change, and we change what we can. And that's why I try to you know to impart to anybody that I come in contact with. Lance, what I want to tell you is that your voice matters, and you telling your story matters, and it's going to make a difference in someone's life. And so I am thankful for you sharing that with us and for taking this time and being here and being really committed to helping other people out and and taking care of yourself and, and taking those steps to move forward, too. So thank you. Thank you. All right. It's an honor. Wow, we did it. We successfully produced our first podcast. And it only took six months. Lance, I hope you hear in this that your voice does matter. Now, since this is brand new, it's the only time I will do this, but there are so many people to thank for making Your Voice Matters possible. The Denver Urban Matters staff has helped to create the space for this to happen. The Denver Urban Matters Board of Directors had the vision to say yes to extending our mission. The small podcast committee of Misty, Sean, and Taylor They helped narrow the focus and and define our direction. Ben helped me to set up and learn how to use the equipment. Other Ben taught me how to improve the quality of the recordings. TC created our website and Beth created our logo. Carolyn let me practice interviewing and learning how to record. Caroline kept me from going off the rails. Colleen told me to jump in with both feet. And to the countless others who were encouraging that this is something a small human services organization should do. So there you have it. I hope you'll subscribe to yourvoicematterspodcast.org. And if you feel so inclined, click on that Donate Now button to support not only this podcast, but more importantly, the valuable work we do at Denim every day. Thank you.